Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Al and Lingy Show. Brilliant tap work, Gresham curling, curling! Magnificent all round! Oh, this is just a leap by Paddy Ryder. Stokes down low, Corey to Ling, and then Ling goes bang! And the captain, as he did last week, from about there, kicks the goal. Melbourne back to its brilliant best. The Cats win a pulsating clash with the Tigers, but lose an All-Australian defender. The Saints slipping, Collingwood climbing. It's been a big round of football. Al and Lingy here to dissect it all for you. G'day, Cameron. Hello, Al. We got to spend the afternoon together, which is very nice. And now we're recording this one. Plenty to talk about, you're right. Uh, we saw a kind of strange game with the MCG today, didn't we? Where Collingwood were pretty much in control for the entire game, but refused to slam the door completely on the Giants. And then the Giants, a little surge at the end, and we thought, oh, they couldn't, could they? And, and then ultimately, they couldn't. Um, it was weird. But Collingwood continue on and, and handle what's been a really tough week coming out of the bye really well. And they, um, yeah. they continue that launch into the top eight. And now with a good run ahead of them, they've set themselves up for a very, very unlikely finals appearance. So I spoke to Craig McRae prior to the game and he didn't shed any light on whether Jordan Degoe would be back next week. BT had a little bit of inside mail suggesting that he would be playing this week. Would Jordan Degoe automatically walk back into the team, do you think? Or would he need a little more time away or put in a block of training before he returns? I can assure you, Al, that our colleague and very good friend, Brian Taylor, when it comes to Collingwood Mail, is usually pretty accurate. Finger on the pulse. Yes, I would have thought that, yeah, Jordan Degoe does come back next week. And does he come straight back in? Yes, I probably think so. I think think Craig McRae will want to show support for Jordan, but also I think behind closed doors, he will be really, really firm with Jordan and say that you have let your teammates down. It didn't cost them a game, but you have let your teammates down. You've you've let him down as a coach with the trust that he showed to him. Now we want you to produce your absolute best football week after week. Not a one-off performance here and there, but just really great quality, consistent football in your preparation and your performance and drive this group towards the finals. And, And I think he'll be really firm on that to Jordan, but he'll give him that opportunity to show it by playing him straight away. Had a great season, Collingwood. They've won nine games now, Lingy, and this they're probably, most would admit, ahead of where we expected them to be. And they now have this run of five games in succession, starting with Gold Coast on Saturday night against teams who are not currently in the top eight. That's still going to be a challenging game against the Gold Coast on Saturday night at Carrara. But they do have this run where they can almost entrench themselves in the top eight. And they've got a tough three games to finish, the last of which is against Carlton at the MCG. So they've given themselves a real shot now of playing finals footy. Do they look like a team to you that deserves to play finals footy? Yes. Yes, they deserve to play finals football. I agree with you because they've, they've, the grind part of the year is June and July. And 
I know we're not quite yet into July, but they, they've they stood up big time. Queen's birthday game is the one that stands foremost in my mind. Big time against good opposition and played some really good football. Now, assuming, and, and maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, let's hope they don't, assuming they handle this really good run with a 75% strike rate of wins through those four or five games, they, they deserve finals. They're not going to go much... They're not going to go deep, deep into September. But what they're going to provide is a great launching pad for the next couple of years when the younger players get some more experience. Their older guys are still there and playing some really good footy. So, no, they, they deserve finals uh, as long as they handle this block really well. Um, and I love the way they play. Their pressure's outstanding. Their contest is excellent. Players embracing their role. And they play with a flair and a dare and a boldness to, to their footy. And, and I love that. They're injecting some good young players too, aren't they? Ollie Henry's playing a role for them in the forward line. He looks like he's got a real future. Jack Ginevan is so lively. Nick Dacos has had an outstanding season, I'm sure, right under consideration with you for the rising star, Lingy, but there's still some footy to be played there. But they seem, and you mentioned during the call, there's this balance now of the older guys who are still performing and carrying a lot of the load and educating a lot of the youngsters. But Gee, they're pushing them too, and they're bringing so much energy to this Collingwood side at the moment. Yeah, and I think they're feeding off it now, Al. You're right, because I'm going to look at it, and I think Taylor Adams was superb today. He's, he's, I think it was at 16 or 17 contested possessions for the game. Had a monster game. Steel side bottom then on the outside, and his run on the wing was just brilliant. Defensive help plus attacking run. Scotty Pendlebury does a lot in there. My check just presents every single time. But combined with those young guys... and. I mean, Darcy Cameron's standing up, um, having a massive influence in the rock. No Brody Grundy, and it's no worries at the moment. Um, he, he's been terrific. So that, that balance, I think, is now feeding off each other, where the young guys are drawing even more confidence from the experienced guys. And the experienced guys, it, it, it's a point in their career where they think, oh, hang on a second, these guys can play. I'm not just biding my time trying to think of self-preservation. How do I get another season or two? And, uh, and squeeze out a bit of superannuation here. It's like, now nah, these young guys can play some serious footy. We might be able to really rock it back up the ladder in a hurry. So the, the older guys are now feeding off the young guys and, and it's getting some good footy. So Brodie Grundy might be a month away, Lingy, and we've seen this absolute spike in performance from Darcy Cameron, who's taken the mantle in his absence as the number one ruckman. And he's going forward and kicking goals and he's getting the ball around the ground as well and having a real presence. He's... You could actually mount the case that he's playing better than Brody Grundy was when he was in the side. So, is there any difficulty massaging the return of, of Brody Grundy? Obviously, he's on the long-term lucrative deal. Darcy Cameron has has played the second string role at, at Collingwood when Grundy's around. You don't want to take this away from him though, when his confidence is so high. To match. No, you don't. But you also trust that Brody can play some really good football, and I, and I reckon you're right. He, Darcy Cameron right now is matching what Brody was doing in the first part of the year. The question will be, can Brody rediscover his form of a couple of years ago? If he can get to that, then fantastic. If he can't, he probably starts posing questions greater than just this season, Al. Um, and I'm not trying to be, um, I'm not trying to stir the pot or anything like that. But if you could have Darcy Cameron on, I don't know, let's call it four or $500,000 a year, playing the same level that Brody Grundy's playing on 
a million dollars a year, do you remove that five to $600,000 difference and spend that on another player that fills another really important need that you he lived the Adam Trelaw experience and Trelaw being paid to be a Western Bulldog as, as Collingwood turfed him out the door when he had a long-term deal, Lingy. So are they they're going to be yeah, once bitten, no, twice no, shy? See, I'm not suggesting... It would have to be in a situation where you're not paying any of his wage. It, it would have to be another club wanting so badly that top-quality Ruckman. He's a top-shelf Ruckman, but, but taking on the wage as well, the contract. Um, Would anyone be prepared to take on that significant a wage? Uh, that, that's the question. You're right. Um, but I know some clubs who would love to take on that quality of a ruckman um, and would pay very, very, very good money for it. Um, uh, would they take on a million dollars a year, which is the figure we're, we're told? I, I don't know. I, I don't know whether I truly believe that's the way to go, but I think there are list management conversations that could be happening internally. Do we get Darcy Cameron on $500,000 a year and another really good player from another club on $500,000 a year and move Brody on? Um, that I, I don't think that's necessarily what they do, but it's a... It's a the Cameron form has just, just created yeah, some greyness around how they manage Grundy's return. I'm sure they'll, they'll play both of them, but it's a question of how much time Cameron would play in the middle of the ground and how much time he would play forward. And if his trajectory is on the up, you want to keep it going that way because he's shown he can be a beast of a player in the last few weeks. So there was an incident today at the MCG, Lingy, where we saw Steel side bottom taking a shot at goal from the goal square, basically, and the umpire told him to play on because he felt he was milking the clock and in the umpire's words taking the mickey um it did make me wonder whether the shot clock is indeed even necessary whether the umpire's discretion could just come back in and if the player can't see the shot clock on the big screen well then they're not going to take the mickey are they so it was an interesting set of circumstances um still side bottom argued his case after being told to play on he did kick the goal it had no material impact on the game whatsoever it was just one of those interesting occurrences and and I did wonder, because we see it all the time when players are not realistically taking a shot at goal, but they say that they are and they milk the, the time off the clock in 30 seconds. It was a game going back to 2016 when Mason Wood was playing for North Melbourne. I think it was against St Kilda where he literally let the shot clock wind down to the point where the siren sounded. So if you took that visual aid away from the players, would that actually be beneficial, do you think? Yeah, I don't really know what the answer to that is, Al. I, I think the way I saw it was that under the current rules, that Steele was entitled to take the full time. Now, if Steele is absolutely exhausted because he's worked the entire length of the ground and is having a shot from 10 metres out, he's still allowed to heave in the big ones and, uh, and, and take a breath and discompose himself to make sure that he goes back and nails that kick. Glancing up at the clock and looking up at the clock can hit be him just checking... How long have I got to, to compose myself and, and, and take a breath? The umpire took that as him just staring at the clock and basically trying to wind it down a little bit. I wouldn't mind some clarification about what players can and can't do because if a player's checking the clock to make sure that he's not going to go over, but he's still going through a routine or he is 
he's just completely spent and, and needs to take a breath, then I think he's entitled to do that. Um, if somebody's just standing there and just kind of leaning back, kicking back like he's in the park and just staring up at the clock watching it go down because he knows that clock, the time might be running out in the game, sure, if the umpire can call play on there, he can. But I think Steele's entitled to go through his routine, whatever his routine may be. Well, I think the umpire, you heard the umpire at the time and he did say, look, we are instructed to call play on or to hurry you up if we feel like you're wasting time. Yeah, but so, it's, it's, he's allowed to take 30 seconds. So that's the umpire saying that, hey, it's an easy shot at goal, mate. You're five metres out. Just pop it through. Just, just pop it through. It's not the umpire's prerogative to say whether it's an easy shot or a hard shot. What if that was 15 metres out? We've seen plenty of people miss from there. Is he allowed to take the 30? I don't know. I'm not arguing really strongly either way. All I'm saying is make it really, really clear. Can Steele just stand there heaving in the big breath but still looking up at the clock to go to rip so that he doesn't go over time? Um, Tom Hawkins, I noticed with his set shot routine, wherever he is, he, he really sucks in the air, composes himself, goes back, and he doesn't start his run up until about five seconds to go. And he's allowed to do it every single time, as he should, because he's a key forward who has a set routine and he's allowed to within the rules. Steele should be able to do that as well, in my eyes. I just think you're potentially scarred or misconstruing how hard it is to take a shot at goal from essentially in the goal square, Lingy, and the events of your very early career are still haunting you, perhaps, when you brought great mirth to the crowd with your attempt, but of course went on and had a brilliant career. what a game of football at the MCG in the Saturday twilight. 59, nearly 60,000 people there. Geelong out of the blocks, led by 35 points. Lingy, it looked like Geelong was going to wipe the floor with Richmond. Richmond found a way back in, got it to a point where they had all the momentum, led by 17 points in the last quarter. And then we had this absorbing 15 minutes of football where the lead changed and Morris Rioli went back with ice in his veins and kicked a magnificent goal from the right forward pocket right through the middle. And then that play with Stengel, who'd been so brilliant, bursting onto the ball and Jack Henry's excellent mark and goal to win the game for the Cats. That was a great game of football and we will touch on that. But as we speak on Sunday night, the news has come through from the MRO. And as most, I think, suspected, Tom Stewart has been referred straight to the tribunal. So the charge is rough conduct. Uh, careless, so not intentional. The bump is part of the game, so it's not been deemed as intentional. Careless, severe impact, and that's what takes it to the tribunal, the severe impact and high contact, which uh, which was obvious as Dion Prestia was knocked out. So a couple of parts to this. Um, Firstly, just the length of time Dion Prestia was on the ground, on the wing, I think it would not be an overestimation to suggest that it was three minutes before they got him off the ground when he was knocked senseless, basically. And the play actually went over him at one point. Mm. I believe it's on Richmond to call for a stretcher. That would have automatically stopped the play. But it didn't look right that Dion Prestier was lying on the ground on the wing and play just went on around him. And Geelong kicked the goal as part of that passage of play. How did you see it? I, I saw that as... I agree with what you were saying. I think Richmond should have called for a stretcher straight away um, to stop the game. Um, I think in that situation, the umpires, when the game's still playing and going on, the umpires who are in control of whatever players, they got no idea what's happened behind the play and somebody's down and and in danger. So they're just going to keep umpiring the play. So it's not a shot at them. 
I think from the bench, the umpire's bench, I think if they're all mic'd up, some communication of when you get a chance, stop the play. You know, if there's a, there's a ball up, there's a mark, whatever it is, stop the play, somebody's in danger. And, and the thing was, it, it was more his, uh, the fact that he was at risk. He, he'd clearly been knocked out badly and was in a world of trouble. If the play goes back near him, then he's very, very vulnerable. And so are the medical staff who are, are treating him. So I think some communication with the bench. I would have loved Richmond to have called for the stretcher straight away to stop the game immediately and make it really, really clear. Um, I, don't think, I don't think we should be stopping the game, Al, if for you know, any injury somebody goes down and hurts their ankle and it happens to be on the far side of the ground and that player isn't vulnerable and he's being helped off the ground by medical staff and maybe for a minute the team that he plays for is down to 17 men. That's just football for me. That's just bad luck. But when that player is in a vulnerable situation and really at risk of further injury or the medical staff are are at risk of injury because they're not watching the play, they're 100% focused on their player, then somehow we need to stop the play and it probably has got to come from the fourth umpire or the emergency umpire, whatever you want to call it to just get the message out there. The next chance you get, immediately stop the play. Someone's, someone's in, in a vulnerable situation. And Tom Stewart, it was so out of character for him. He's a scrupulously fair player, but it looks like he's going to be missing a month, you would think. Three to four weeks would be around about where I see it. Is that how you see the likely penalty? Yeah, that's where I see it too, Al. Um, as I sit here, and I think going to the tribunal, it starts from three weeks um, from there, and, and I'll be interested to hear. Um, yeah, I, so out of character, but again, that doesn't matter. It doesn't excuse it. Um, he's done the action, and, and he'll cop his whack for that, that um, whatever, whether it's a three, maybe four, probably is more what I'm thinking. Um, it's a huge blow to the Cats, given... They've got North Melbourne next week, but then a couple of huge ones against Melbourne. And I think they've got Carlton coming up after that. So um, a massive out for one of their most important players. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, Al. I think more often we need to, as I've said so many times with you, is punish the action, not the outcome. I think there's been other situations throughout this season and, and certainly in past seasons where, you know, an elbow's been thrown. Um, or there has been big hits, and that player that's copped the hit doesn't end up knocked out completely like Dan Prestia was, but could have. Um, and those players, I think, who've done that, those incidents should have got the three or four weeks just as much as Tom Stewart should end up with the three or four weeks. He's, he's going to be punished, and rightly so, because the Prestia was completely knocked out. But I reckon there's other times when an elbow gets thrown um, that I think, we need to punish that to just stop those hits to the head, which are unnecessary in the game. Um, I'm not a believer in send-off rule. I yeah, I was going to ask that. you about that. No, it's I, a, it, This conversation rears its head very rarely, maybe once every couple of seasons when one of these incidents occurs. And Dion Prester is clearly one of Richmond's most important midfielders, particularly when you consider that Cochin's not out there and Lambert wasn't playing for them either. So him being out for three quarters of the game it has an impact on the game from Richmond's perspective. But the rarity of these issues, I'm not sure we need to go as far as legislating, Lingy. It's, it's just a very unfortunate set of circumstances. Yes, Richmond's penalised, 
Geelong will be penalised ultimately. Chris got interestingly made the point afterward that it, it's actually North Melbourne initially that's going to benefit from the absence of Stewart because that's who Geelong plays next week. There's no real benefit for Richmond, but I think you're getting into very dangerous territory if you're bringing in send-off rules in our game, which is already open to conjecture. Um, one person might see something as a send-offable offence. Someone else might not see it as, as seriously. So... I don't think that we need to go to that length on the back of what is ultimately a very minor or not minor, but a very rare occurrence in the game that there would be something deemed severe enough to warrant the conversation. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you've said there, Al. Um, now, Richmond supporters will be telling us both to get stuffed and that's fine because if Dan Prestia plays the rest of that game, Richmond probably win that game. He's that important to them. Um, he's a superb footballer. So they, they're quite rightly angry and saying, well, we've just lost a game because we lost one of our best players so early on. But I still, I hear those arguments. I still don't believe in the send-off rule in, um, in AFL. Um, I think... The to, to me, they're still... Yes, in lower levels, there are card systems for, for offences, but the AFL has played at such a professional level now and the violence has been taken largely out of the game when we see these incidents slinging. And in the case of Tom Stewart, he was so regretful, so apologetic. Yes, he chose to bump, but he certainly did not intend to knock out Dion Prestia. And I think given the way the game is played these days, that you're not seeing the types of offences that would warrant players being red carded. So... I think it's a needless piece of legislation in a game that already has lots and lots of rules and lots of grey and lots of conjecture around some of the decisions that are made from time to time. Um, Geelong are going to finish in the top four on the back of that. They've got a good run home. I think that's fairly safe to say. Lingy, what about Richmond, though? Because they're not any longer in the top eight, but, gee, they look like a top eight side to me. It's a question of who they would dislodge from the top eight now. But the way they're playing they look good enough to me to be playing finals footy. Yeah, I agree. Watching that game, I, I, I was watching two finals teams there playing. Um, they both stood up under that enormous pressure. So I, I'm with you on Richmond. They're only going to get better as their better players are playing and personnel. Um, I don't think Dusty's anywhere near his best. And I'm not, I don't think Dusty's going to get back to his highest of peaks but you know Dusty's still feeling his way back into the game and um, so he's only going to get better every game he plays yeah Richmond are a finals team for me and I've said it for the last few weeks Richmond are a finals team that I don't want to play against especially if I'm a Carlton or a Fremantle these these younger teams who haven't had finals experience I don't want to be playing them. I don't want to be playing them if there's a little bit of rain about either because they're the best wet weather team in the game, Richmond. Um, and in front of a huge crowd, if it happens to be at the MCG, uh, good luck. Uh, that's not one I want. One on my Christmas list is the Richmond Tigers. Nice segue, Lingy, into Carlton and Fremantle. Michael Voss referred to it as a signature win for Carlton. Sam Walsh, you can... You can't talk up how good he is enough, but he goes and has a career-high 40 disposals. He's so dynamic with the way he plays the game. Fremantle started the game well. Carlton just got rolling, and they looked really potent, the Blues, and it was a very meaningful win because with their depleted defence and fair crack to Lewis Young, who's producing some really good football in the absence of other key defenders for Carlton, I thought they were really vulnerable against that Fremantle side, so that was an excellent performance from the Blues. Yeah, not, sometimes on, uh, on our podcast, Al, you start off with what caught my eye and I just had written in giant letters, Sam Walsh. 
Oh, how good is he? I mean, he hasn't. He's number one draft pick. Supposedly, there's pressure on number one draft picks, and um, you know, supposed to find it a little bit difficult to settle in and have that huge impact. Day one, he just plays incredible footy. He was superb, and you're right. They they protected their defence. Their possible vulnerability was in their defence. They kept Fremantle only 40 inside 50s. They dominated around the contest. And again, you know, it's funny. When we're talking about all these teams that we love watching play, and and Fremantle is one normally, but they didn't have a great great game. They play with an attack and a dare, Carlton. They know they've got a forward line that can do special things. And Charlie Kernow, he gets those bums up out of the seat uh, every single time he goes near it. They, they know it and they trust it. And they know even if it's a bit too daring and there's a little bit of a mistake, they'll fix it up. They'll, they'll put enough pressure back on. They'll create another turnover and then they'll get it back in there. And With Harry and Charlie up there and the dominant midfield, they are so good to watch. And now that was, a, that was a big win. Justin Longmuir will be disappointed with the performance of his team. Um, but I still believe strongly in Fremantle now. Um, but Michael Voss will be wrapped with that performance. That, that was brilliant. And MRO news on that front. Um, people would try to draw parallels between Toby Green's umpire touching and, and Nat Fife's umpire touching. I'm not surprised at all that Michael Christian's come back and said that Nat Fife has no case to answer. There was clearly nothing dismissive or aggressive in the way that he touched the umpire. Matt Cottrell actually pushed him into the umpire. If you look at the letter of the law, that's a mitigating factor for him as well. So I'm not surprised that uh, Nat Fife didn't get any form of penalty for that. The clear contrast with Toby Green was it was a dismissive push of an umpire pushing him away. You can debate the length of the suspension, but I don't think the two things are comparable when you look at the two incidents, Green and Fife. Uh, So the Blues are in good nick. They're inside the eight. They're fifth at the moment. Fremantle did maintain a position in the top four, Lingy, but you've got this group behind Melbourne. Melbourne 11 and three, Geelong 10 and four, Brisbane 10 and four, Fremantle 10 and four, Carlton 10 and four is the top five. Sydney Swans had an excellent win over St Kilda. We'll get to that in a moment because St Kilda have now had two pretty disappointing defeats after they were playing some really good footy. Even in the loss to Brisbane, they were men down and still played with a lot of character. Uh, The last couple of weeks, they've they've dropped away badly. But next on the Al and Lingy show, we'll take a look at the Demons because after their own period of difficulty, they bounced back in a big way. Al and Lingy show. So the Demons, um, I made the mistake, Lee, my eldest son, Barracks for Brisbane, he had football training on Thursday night. I asked him if he wanted to go to the MCG and watch the game. I said, we'll be a little bit late. We'll get there at quarter time. He was keen as mustard. We listened on the radio on the way in. Brisbane were playing very well. Safe to say when we got there, things went downhill (laughs) considerably from the Lions' perspective. Melbourne looked back to its absolute lethal best playing at such a high level that they looked unbeatable again. The question is whether they can sustain it after what had been a a few poor weeks and some off-field issues for them to contend with as well. But Melbourne's best football, is it still the best football in the competition from your perspective? Yes, absolutely. And I don't think I needed Thursday night to say that. I reckon last week or so, every time I've been talking, it's like, hang on a second, we still know what Melbourne's best is. They're having... They're having a bad little run, but their best is still good. Still very, very good. What we saw on Thursday night, though, was a couple of little 
things. One is when they are able to dominate the contested ball, when they, when Oliver and these types are just at their absolute peak, they are simply brilliant. And then their defence can set up behind it. May's there. Levy can do everything he wants to do. Set up beautifully and their attack looks good. So that's, that's one thing for Melbourne. I also walked away thinking, again, when you can shut Lockie Neal out of a game or keep him to a, just a scrappy type of game and, and not really highly influential, you can really hurt Brisbane. And Melbourne smarts to, to go to Neal with harms and to, to really lock him away. And he's, he ends up with 22 touches. He gets some clearances. He still, he still fights to the very end, Lockie Neal. But I reckon six other Brisbane players go missing when Lockie Neal's not having 30 touches and eight or nine clearances. Um, so you learn a couple of things from that game to say, yeah, Melbourne is still the best. There's not the, as big a gap as what there was maybe six, seven weeks ago. But Brisbane, are they? Mm-hmm. I think when we were talking, Al, it was Melbourne, Daylight, then Brisbane, then a slither of Daylight, then a big group. Is Brisbane still that one who's leading the, the, the next bunch? Was that just a one-off? I think Chris Fagan spoke after the game saying, do I give them a mulligan for that one? Or do I really review it hard and, uh, and, and really go after them? He, he said he hadn't quite made up his mind with that. I think they've built up a, a certain amount of trust, this group, to think that they can respond to it. But watching that game, oh, gee, all, those, all those questions I had about Brisbane came rushing back in a hurry. So whether or not they're the next team in the tier, I'm not sure anymore. Yeah, the long-term ABC broadcaster Quentin Hull came up with the analogy that Brisbane was like a really, really good Group 2 horse in that company, outstanding when it goes into Group 1 company, not quite capable of getting it done. And there's also a question mark around Brisbane and its capacity to play the MCG. They don't get to play there very often, Lingy. They don't win there, history shows, in recent times. And that's where the big games are played. There's no more of this COVID football on the road and playing in... Queensland and playing grand finals in Perth, things are back at the MCG when the whips are cracking. Isn't it, isn't it funny? Because if you're a really, really good team, and I'm talking about it, just oh, the highest of high-quality teams, you play well anywhere. So maybe those little questions and those little gaps are exposed at the MCG. I often laugh when um, people try and say, well, Geelong's biggest problem is they play too many games at GMHBA Stadium and it hurts them when they get to the MCG. No, that's not the case. The reason why they have struggled at times over the last six or eight years at the MCG was because they didn't actually have the really great team. It wasn't an unbelievable team. When you're a really good team, you win anywhere. So Brisbane's cracks are only opened up more at the G. So that forward line's not beautiful, not functioning fully yet. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I trust it fully, Al. When you go Hipwood, Danaher, McStay. Charlie Cameron is a small forward, but kind of likes to play as the deepest sometimes key forward, you know, for want of a better term. And they all want to do it. Are they all going to actually function together well? Are they all going to be selfless enough at the right time for it to fully function? So Harry Mackay and Charlie Curnow both want to be the main man, but both have enough awareness and selflessness to let the other one be the main man when the time's right. Tom Hawkins and Jeremy Cameron do the same thing as well, and they complement each other. I don't know if Danaher, Hipwood, McStay, Cameron, I don't know if they complement each other. So those questions just mount up. 
uh, and especially after a horror game like they had Thursday night. They're playing the Western Bulldogs on Thursday night back at the Gabba. To me, that's a really important game for Brisbane, but it's also a really important game for the Western Bulldogs who had an excellent win over Hawthorne and looked pretty potent in that forward line when when Norton's up there and things got a bit fiery at times. Waitman's a fine player. A few signs from Hugo Hagen as well, competing really well, loving the work of Riley West and great to see him, the son of the West, finally starting to get an opportunity and maintaining his position in that side and showing what he's capable of. I think that would really hearten Western Bulldogs fans to see him doing what he's been doing in recent weeks. But the Dogs have such a tough run home and we mentioned Richmond is a team that we think can play finals football. Well, the Dogs are in eighth, Lingy, and they have this really difficult draw to complete the season. They've got Brisbane at the Gabba, Sydney at the SCG, St Kilda at Marvel, Melbourne at the MCG, in fact, at Marvel, Geelong at Cadinia Park, Fremantle at Marvel, GWS at Marvel, and uh, Hawthorne at York Park in Launceston. So it's a challenging run. If they could knock off Brisbane, that would, would really say something, I reckon, if the Western Bulldogs could produce that win. Josh Bruce on now has had, what, two games back in the VFL? So yeah, but his I return and how they manage that will be interesting, given Shaki, Hugo Hagen playing in that forward line for the Dogs alongside Norton as the key tolls. Yeah, I heard, though, Josh Bruce might have had a little little minor setback, um, just maybe, maybe holding back a week more, um, but maybe... Our listeners need to triple check that, but that's just what I was hearing. That just something wasn't quite a hundred percent. So maybe um, another week or so. I, I'm I'm a believer in still playing Eugle Hagen. Um, you, you just see that he took four contested marks on Friday night. Um, early on in the game, he looked like he was nowhere near it again. He was running under the ball a little bit again, but then he just started working where he had to position himself, when to jump. Um, his work rate slowly increasing. Um, it, it's funny, I. I love my American sport and uh, and I followed the NBA draft last week and um, fantastic to see a couple of Aussies get an opportunity there. But they all talk about, and it's the same in the NFL, these players coming in and straight away they're going to have this huge impact. And will it elevate the Oklahoma City Thunder to to playoff contention or, or will Detroit now jump up because they got this like straight out of college? They're often 21, 22-year-olds who are coming straight out of college and playing in front of, you know, 40,000 at the, or 30,000 at these college stadiums. And they're, they're mature and they understand it and they're almost elite athletes already. Our top draft picks, unless you've got a Sam Walsh, who's the complete outlier, they are just young, young men who are works in progress and need to be developed. And Eugel Hagen just needs to play. He needs to experience AFL-type atmosphere. So I want him to just keep playing. Keep playing, keep playing, keep playing. Josh Bruce maybe eventually moves him out for a little bit, but, gee, I'd love to see him just get more game time into him. It'd be a huge win for them to knock off Brisbane, to go up there, Al. Then then they start believing again that they're the team of last year that got on that run through September and and made it to that grand final. And uh, they're they're still relying on their contested ball. They're still relying on their dominant midfield. But when you've got a bloke like Tom Liberatore just playing games like he did on Friday night and, the Bonds and McRae, and, and then Bailey Smith eventually comes back in. That's a midfield to be reckoned with. Uh, there, there's weaknesses everywhere. But I think we've got, a, we've got a competition this year that every single team is flawed in some capacity. Melbourne have the least flaws, and they are the most proven. But I think it's a, it's a comp where every single team who's going to be hitting that finish line 
just has a few little flaws, so it's about playing the best footy at the best time and mitigating some of those weaknesses is the team who wins the flag this year. So I mentioned the Western Bulldogs who got the really tough run home. St Kilda also has a really tough run home and has obviously looked like an aberration, the performance against Essendon, losing to the Bombers who've had their struggles and, and struggled again on the weekend, losing to the West Coast Eagles as much as the Eagles are starting to find just a little bit. And Kennedy was excellent with his five goals, getting a few personnel back. But the Saints then to follow that up with what was really an insipid performance against the Sydney Swans. Sydney's a good side. So it's to take nothing away from the Sydney Swans. But on the back of that loss to Essendon, you would have expected far more from the Saints than a 51-point hiding at the hands of, of the Sydney Swans. So you had doubts very early in the season about St Kilda's list, Lingy. They then produced to a level where you had to say, look, they're, they're a good side. They're playing really good football and, and players have started to improve their game and, and take this side forward. But the last couple of weeks have just raised some question marks again. And to the point where you do wonder, can they make it? With the run home and their position in 10th at the moment with a, a modest percentage of 107.3. Yeah, the, the footy from this week and last week by the Saints is the footy from round one when I was particularly scathing on them. Um, I can't believe I'm watching the same team that I watched absolutely ripped Geelong apart that game at Marvel Stadium and, and they're playing that sort of footy and I walked away going, gee, I need to start re-evaluating and taking them seriously. But the last two weeks has me going all the way back to round one, Al. And, and, and Jack Steele comes back in. It, it, you can almost forgive them a bad performance against the Bombers, no Steele and, and yeah, okay, it just went wrong. It, you know, fix a couple of things up, kick up the backside, Steele comes back in. It was the same. It was rubbish. I mean, Jack Steele has 29 touches, has 10 tackles. He's as hard as nails like he always is. The rest of them, it, it was... The ball was flowing through, and off turnover in particular, flowing through like the old witch's hats comparison that you can often make to a team. I think Sydney scored five goals or something on turnover, and it was so easy. Essendon the week before would just go coast to coast, slice through. Uh, I... I want to, I want to believe that they can get back to the form of a few of you know five six weeks ago, but I I, I struggle getting there now because I've seen seen it now two or three times in a row and I've seen that round one performance and I'm not sure which which St Kilda is the real St Kilda and what the old Slim Shady song will the real Slim Shady please stand up, show me St Kilda which one's the real you because I'm I'm going all the way back to round one, and I've got uh, I've got a few things loaded to fire St Kilda's way. But if they can prove to me that the real Saints is the the team that I saw tear apart Geelong, cool. I'll back off again, and I won't say it. But otherwise, it's going to get nasty. I think you showed us the real you just then, Lingy. Bit of a slim shady fan. That's good <laughs> to hear, mate. I like that. So St Kilda's got Carlton. That's going to be a huge match on Friday night. Then Fremantle in Melbourne and then the Western Bulldogs. So make or break three weeks for St Kilda. Win a couple of those games, maybe the belief comes back. Lose those three and, and all the good work that was done to start the season has been thrown out the window, really, and you could not possibly see them making it 
from there. Uh, the Adelaide Crows defeated North Melbourne, a game that they led by 31 points at three-quarter time and then ultimately ran away with it to win by 57 points. There was footage of David Noble really impassioned at three-quarter time, trying to get his team up. Jeff Walsh has come in to conduct a review. We know that didn't end well for David Teague. Um, I've got a little more faith in the tenure of, of David Noble given the time he's been there and his level of experience across the AFL industry. But they keep on losing, they keep on losing heavily. Uh, the Adelaide Crows, Walker six goals. Darcy Fogarty finally taking the steps that the Adelaide Crows had hoped he would. You go back a number of years, three or four years, he was talked about as the heir apparent to Taylor Walker. And finally, he's starting to look like that kind of player. They kicked 10 between them, Lingy, in an impressive performance. And, and, I, and I love what Matty Nix did. And I, I'm going to compare this, and this is, this is just a little thing for Ben Rutten. Um, Matty Nix drops Matty Crouch. That's a huge statement. He's an All-Australian. He had 30-odd touches or whatever it is in the most recent game. He's gone bang and said, guys, unless you are going to play a certain way and you're going to have impact in the middle of the ground, I'm not going to have Matt Crouch, Keys, and also Laird just running around getting 30 touches because they're smart enough to know where the footy's going, but doing nothing with it. He gets a great response. But he makes a big statement with Matty Crouch. Goes all the way back to when Essendon had the opportunity to drop and did drop Dylan Shield, but then brought him in back in as the, the medical sub. And that, that impact that could have happened from that was lost a little bit. I love it when coaches who are going through a rebuilding and, and growth phase and trying to teach a team the way that they want them to play and, and shape the way that they're going to play in the future are really, really clear and strong on selection. No fluffing around it. Um, I love the fact Matty Nix did it. I, I remember back, this is going back a long time ago, when Bomber Thompson just wouldn't play Jimmy Bartell. Just said, I don't care if you can get it 50 times in the VFL, and Jimmy was getting it 50 times. I am not playing you unless you play the right way. And the right way is I'd rather you get it 25 times and having a huge impact and defend and tackle and chase and pressure and, and do all of those facets of the game rather than just run around because you've, you've got a good footy brain and get it 50 times and do nothing with it. And he did it again and again and again, week after week. He did it to Paul Chapman as well. And that helped turn them into so much better players but it also sent messages through the group that you want to stay in this team, you're going to play a certain way. And that's what Matty Nix did. And I reckon Rutten and others have got it wrong on the journey of making strong statements through selection. So well played, Matty Nix. Yeah, even if you look at Luke Beveridge before the Bulldogs won the premiership, there was a period when he dropped Jack McRae and McRae was winning 30-plus possessions every game, but he sent him back to the VFL. Um, Let's just quickly touch before we depart on Gold Coast and Port Adelaide. It was the last match of the round. Lingy, Port Adelaide won it. So they've continued this uh, transformation in their form after losing the first five games of the season. They now have squared the ledger at 7-7. Seven and seven. They're in 12th position, 105.1 percentage points. And Gold Coast also 7-7 seven and seven ahead of a clash with Collingwood on Saturday night. Gold Coast lost no admirers with the way they fought that game out after being down early and got within a couple of points late but couldn't find the go-ahead goal. So good game of football between two sides. This is when the season starts to get really interesting when these teams who are jostling for positions, trying to find a way into the top eight, similarly placed on the ladder, go at us. Great win for Port Adelaide to hang on in those circumstances. 
Yeah, it was. And, and so important to just keep their chances alive and get that. And, and Kenny settled this group well. We've, we've spoken about that many times. You're right about the Suns. They didn't lose any admirers because that would have been one of their all-time wins if they'd got that one. Never won at the Adelaide Oval, the Gold Coast yeah. Suns. Yeah. And, and the injuries, I think we touched on it last week. I hate the fact that the Suns, they're, they're just coming so far, but then they just keep getting crucial injuries, that brutal one to, to Powell. And, and they lose Lockie Waller a few weeks before that. Mm. Ben King was before the season, but he's still a crucial player to, they have been terrific. Oh, they're building something uh, and they continue to impress me. They probably end up too far back now, um, perhaps, Al. Or am I writing them off a little early? What are they? No, I think oh, it's going to be really hard because we're trying to find a way for Richmond to get in. Richmond's yeah. going to have to dislodge a Western Bulldogs or a Collingwood. Collingwood's got a really favourable run. Western Bulldogs have got a tough run, but they're a good side. Sydney Swans look like a side that will make the eight, whether they can do... Anything meaningful in the finals remains to be seen. So it's a question of how do you wedge Richmond in in the first place and then those that are behind them, which is why I think it's getting increasingly difficult for St Kilda to find a way in. Well, Gold Coast and Port Adelaide are a game behind both St Kilda and Richmond. So it's, it's tough, but stranger things have happened. Um, pleasingly for Gold Coast too, Lingy, that things are turning around from a list management perspective as well. So Jack Lukosius was the one that hadn't signed and everyone's thinking that he's going to leave. Well, now they've locked them all away, basically. All of those key young players have elected to stay. They want to be part of this build at the Gold Coast Suns and and that is, is a massive shift from where this club was previously. And that all comes back to what you believe in as a player, the direction of where things are going. You you trust that the coaches and, and um, the people in charge of the football department are going to give you the best opportunity to succeed. And, and that's individually, personally as well, because they've got, an, you, as a player, you've got a self-awareness of how you want your career to play out and, and you want to just keep being around. So you do have that little selfish element, but also seeing the vision of Stewie Dew and those other coaches and you buying into that and believing that you want to be around. And, and in that environment, you make great friends. You know, it's not, if you have an environment where it's just, everyone for themselves, you you pretend to be friends with them or you, you hang around and sort of spend time because that's what you're supposed to do, but you don't really believe it. And you get out of there at the first chance you get because your manager's somehow worked out a nice big offer somewhere else. But these people clearly are good friends and want to be together and, and spend time together and play footy together because they share in the vision of Stewie Dew and, and credit him and, and those others in charge at the Suns who are creating that environment, an environment that we were starting to doubt whether or not it was possible that that could be built because it had been rebuild, false start, rebuild, false start all the way. And we thought if there's one more uh, false start from this rebuild, well, that's it. You may as well pack up the doors and turn off the lights. Um, um, sorry, shut the doors and turn off the lights. Um, the They have something now. And that from that, they're just going to get better and better. And, I love what Stewie Dew's doing. Amongst a whole lot of noise too, Al. How much talk was there? Well, let's the AFL's going to back the truck up and get Al Clarkson there. They've got to do everything, move heaven and earth to get Clarkson and all that. Stewie Dew and his team have ignored that and they've got him playing really good footy and believing in, in the vision. Lingy, great chatting to you. You've been so good throughout the course of the season so far. What are we through? 14 rounds of football, 15 rounds of football now. We're going to let you have round 16 off. So the players get one, 
we've negotiated a buy as well. The Alan Lingy Show is going to have a week off and we're going to come back after the completion of round 17 to chat all about it, Lingy. Al, you behave yourself all right. If you want to go on any trips away overseas, you just got to get it signed off by me, okay? And I'm not as trusting. Look I'll out. give you a bell, Lingy. I'll give you a bell. <laughs> I will not do anything without your consent. The footy starts Thursday night at the Gabba. Brisbane and the Western Bulldogs should be a bell's alive and free on seven. Friday night, Essendon, uh, Carlton and St Kilda is the clash that you'll see. And I'm looking forward to broadcasting from Carrara, the clash between Collingwood and the Gold Coast Suns. I reckon that's going to be a ripper. Enjoy a week off, Lingy, and we'll reconvene in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you, Al. All the best. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.